What's up, everybody? Welcome to the next episode of Buck and Stock News Podcast, powered by Two Bulls. I'm your host, Kyle Lippincott, back for another episode. Uh, event schedule presented by Two Bulls, fortified with SQ and minerals. December the 15th, which is going to be a Sunday, Jenkins Ranch having a, a yearling fraternity, as well as a, a two-year-old with a rider, I believe. Um, that's going to be, again, like I said, a Sunday. Um, LJ is also going to have another event December the 18th in Porham, Oklahoma. That's going to be uh, a two-year-old with a rider fraternity. Uh, January 3rd and 4th, Fort Worth, Texas, uh, classic in maturity there at Cowtown. Uh, January 4th, Pahuska, Oklahoma. That's going to be the, the first event of the bucking trifecta. Um, guys, the books are open for that now. Go ahead and, and get your bulls entered. Uh, if you have any questions on the on the format, how that works with the $25,000 bonus, uh, you can contact Jesse Pullman. Uh, he's on social media. You can find him pretty easily. Uh, January 16th through the 18th, Vanita, Oklahoma, National Cattlemen's Beef Association Fraternity Qualifier. Uh, you need to purchase your spots. Uh, those the the spots the spots books close December the 20th. January 25th, Locust Grove. That's going to be the second uh, event of the trifecta, and um, lot, lots of events coming up, guys. Uh, as well, another event I, I skipped over there, January 11th. Uh, evolution bull competitions that's going to be a two-year-old fraternity and a derby as well with the the 4d system uh co-sanctioned with the abbi uh they had their first maiden deal this this past weekend uh had 31 bulls entered and right around 60 yearlings um lots of events coming up guys kind of may start planning we'll try to keep everybody updated with all the events whether they're abbi events sanctioned events or just open events we kind of like to give everybody a heads up of what what's available to be entered uh, as a lot of guys have competition calves nowadays on this episode of the podcast it was i think you guys are really really going to enjoy it um i had judd lafew on and we we talked a lot about the history his dad's been around uh, Gary for a long time bucking bulls there at the schools and and doing stuff at his house. Uh, he's got to a lot of, see a lot of and start um, a lot of uh, old West Coast bulls. But on top of that, just story time. Judd is has a great personality, and uh, it was really really fun to get to talk to him. And uh, this is my conversation with Judd Lafew. So Judd Lafew with us on this episode. Judd, we've tried before to record an episode, and it's just our paths hadn't crossed, and uh, we were finally able to do one, and, and I'm I'm pretty excited. I appreciate you coming on. Hey, I'm excited, too. I uh, I live out in the mountains in California, so I don't always have the best phone service, so I'm in town now. We can rock and roll. <laughs> you, say, you say in the mountains, like you see the pictures and stuff of your guys' place, and it looks like your guys' arena is literally right in the, like, a valley of the mountains. It, it's funny we're on the coast but we're we're up a canyon about a seven mile dirt road and i mean we're literally 15 minutes from the beach but when you get up that canyon out out in the woods behind the, the ridge that, that runs along the coast i mean it feels like you're you're in a whole different world but but weather wise and location wise we, we really have a good here on the central coast we're right between la and frisco and 
and uh, it's not overpopulated. It's big time cattle country and, and agriculture. So uh, people think of California, you know, they don't realize, um, you know, this is a little piece of paradise we got here. Uh, yes, yeah, you say that. I've been to California a couple times when I was fighting bulls, and and there was people. It it seemed like it didn't matter where we went to. There was oh, it was a, an astronomical amount of people. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. We uh, we're just really lucky in this little county. I'm right on the border of Santa Barbara County and San Luis Obispo County, and it, it's just they've kept the population down. You know the from housing, overpopulating, and, and stuff like that. And, um, man, it, it's a perfect little spot to, to raise cattle and, you know, raise kids. And, and you don't have – I don't even know what a traffic jam is unless <laughs> I go to L.A. So I really uh, – and we're only three hours from L.A., so I've, I've really lucked out living where I'm at because if I do need to go to the city or Hollywood, which is kind of my, uh, you know, my other life that my dad – and I have really been fortunate enough to be involved in. Um, we're, we're just a three-hour drive to L.A., so it's perfect. That's awesome. Speak. You you talked about the L.A. stuff, and, and kind of before we got to recording, I mentioned I want to bring up some off-the-wall topics. And it's kind of funny. When I was a kid, like I was, I mean, probably elementary school, maybe even junior high-ish, uh, well, my favorite show every week to watch was Cowboy U. <laughs> you bet. That's, that's funny you mentioned that because uh, – I was literally, before you called, I was talking to the producer that did Cowboy U. Uh, he was a lady named Melly Moreau, and, and uh, we were just talking like, man, it's been 12 years since the last season of Cowboy U, and, and we did the first one in, in 2003, and we ended in 2007. And, you know, we went to different states with different contestants, as you know, but, um, man, we were just like, geez, we should do another one and try and get it back again, and, and uh, we had such a great run, but it, we were talking to you, a fish-out-of-water show, you can't go wrong. When you bring city people to the country, ranch life or rodeo life, it's just so funny to see them, <laughs> you know, absorbed in our life, and, and so more than anything, I just had a blast laughing at, you know, trial, <laughs> just trial and error of them you know, I don't, I don't call them idiots, but I call them, you know, just oblivious of what ranch life is like. And, you know, I even convinced the guy one time to, uh, you know, to inspect manure in the, in the horse stalls, you know. And, and uh, you know, they, they'll believe anything you say, of course. But, but, man, we just had a good time with them. They're so gullible. I'm sure, like, maybe it being like a reality show, um, maybe it wasn't a front, but... I just remember, like, vaguely, because it's been so long ago, but the some kind of a contest, and, and you got you you would be explaining it, you know, and the camera would go to the, the city folk people, and they're just like, the look on their face, like, you've yeah. got to be shitting me. Yeah, I mean, we, we always had that, you know, I mean, straight from the city people, you know, big city people, and, and we'd give 25000 at the end in the rodeo, but we would train them for a couple weeks, in different events you know we always had bull riding and we changed it up from roping to you know to barrel racing and stuff like that and the cool thing was the girls competed equally against the guys so the girls had to ride bulls they had to bear down and and you know we had bulldogging cute dogging in certain episodes and so it, it was just really cool to to be a part of it and to see different states we started in arizona in 2003 then we come to my ranch in California. Then we went to Hawaii, 
Texas, Oklahoma, and Colorado. So we, we, we moved around from ranch to ranch, and, and the cast, of course, changed every season. And we had different guest instructors would come in, but we always had the same basis of city people on a ranch learning how to be rodeo, and then we'd have a rodeo at the end. for And the winner take all 25000 So they, they bared down. We, we made sure they were broke, too, so we didn't get any – Rich kids, they were they were all broke, so they needed the money to try a little bit harder. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. uh, that that made a big difference, I guarantee it. Oh shoot. Man, uh, that's that's awesome, and it's real ironic that I that I mentioned that, being that you were talking to the producer before before I called you. But um, that's probably probably like I said, the off the wall topic that that I wanted to bring up, just because I remember watching that show as a kid. Um, but it, it is kind of also ironic. Two two episodes in a row. Um, two California guys, uh, Alan Jordan last week, kind of talking about the Barnby stuff. And now to you, and your dad's been around a, re- a really long time too in the rodeo, riding bulls, and and you guys have bucked a lot of bulls at your place. I'm sure you guys have seen a lot of cool stuff from also where it started, as far as the genetics and everything, the West Coast. Well, I, I definitely listened to your episode with Alan Jordan. He's like a, a big brother to me. You know, he lived with us when he was a teenager and, and uh, come back for years to co-instruct at our bull riding schools. And just to go back even a little further before my dad, you know, my grandfather and his family moved to California from Texas in 1940. And, and he rode bulls. And then so... I always seen a lot of old pictures he had of black and whites in the 40s, um, you know, of Andy Riggy and the Barnby Bulls, but especially Andy Riggy in this neck of the woods, uh, you know, Bramers. And and uh, so I heard a lot about Andy Riggy, who eventually sold out to, to uh, which eventually become Flying U Rodeo Company. But, uh, the, you know, it was just them, them little white hump Bramers. And, uh, and then he had that bull. Bluebell Wrangler, who I think bucked at the first NFR, and, and he was really the the highlight of, of the show back then because he jumped so high and all the old pictures you see of him. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather, when he retired, he worked on a ranch here in in, uh, in between the Pomo and Santa Maria, California forever. And when he retired, you know, him and my dad bought the place we have now in, in about 68, right when my dad was, was really – you know, traveling with George Paul and runner-up for bully or world champion behind George Paul, and then 1970 when my dad uh, was world champion, that was actually the year the bull riding school began. That was the first school uh, my grandfather actually put one on, and then but my dad started his in 1970 at the ranch here, and uh, but he was even before we started. Uh, getting bulls from other guys for our school. My dad, he would always have a set of, like, charlades and stuff around it. And as you and everyone else knows, when you go through enough purebred bulls, <laughs> you got to go through a lot of them. Every once in a while, you find a good one. Uh-huh. And so our first bull was a charlade bull. He sold to, uh, oh, uh, to Oklahoma, and uh, he ended up going to NFR. So long story short, uh, in the 80s, we ended up all the all, after the Urban Cowboy came out. We'd have these 50, 60, I think at one point 80 students at our schools. And uh, I want to pause you there for a second. I don't mean to interrupt you, but there there might have been something on on Facebook, or maybe I just heard a conversation one time about 
the movie the movie Eight Seconds and kind of bringing the 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 light to the rodeo world. And I remember someone either A commented or B responded if it was a conversation I can't remember and said, yeah, Eight Seconds did bring a lot of a light to the the rodeo western sports type thing, but that they thought that the urban cowboy brought as much or more uh, to to that way of life. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. Especially you know the the urban bar scene. You know we ended up investing in a mechanical bull back then, and and uh, the early eighties, late like nineteen seventy nine. I was probably four years old riding that thing, and and uh, but the the numbers at the bull riding schools. Oh my God! I mean literally. You know I think there's a picture when Ted Noose and Charlie Sampson came to our school around nineteen seventy nine or eighty. Um, you know, right after the movie come out, that we literally had 80 students at one school, and the you know with the group photo, it just they're lined up all over, and and it was that way for a few years till it died down, you know, and then and then definitely in the early 90s when Eight Seconds come out again, we've seen that trend where you know everyone wanted to be a line dancer and a bull rider, and you know it it's all about showing off for the girl really you know so uh-huh. it comes down to you know even if they didn't want to be pro riders they just want to be able to do it good enough so they could go to the bar and look cool and, <laughs> and, and get a hot girl you know it's, i mean uh-huh. what listen down to so but yeah i would i remember you know because i was i was just a young kid riding that mechanical bull we we take it around from fair to fair and you know people would line up all night long alan jordan would would go with us and he would run the mechanical bull and and jack with people like he likes to do, you know, and, and a lot of funny stories with that mechanical bull going around <laughs> in that era. So one time there was a guy, uh, Alan was running it, and uh, he, he may or may not have known, but the guy had a wooden leg, and pretty soon he's spinning him around, and the wooden <laughs> leg goes flying out into the crowd, and, and you know, a lot of a lot of halter tops in the summertime with, with – uh, so it, it was it was a lot of fun, you know, because Alan he he was he's such a little prankster, and, uh, <laughs> and all I, of I his friends are too, you know. So as a kid, I I got a kick out of you know I was I was kind of the I'd get up there and ride it as a kid, make it look cool, and then people would get on and and uh, so there's some old videos of that stuff too. But yeah, I mean, no doubt, you know, that helped rodeos attendance, and then eight seconds, and and just Lane Frost in general before he died and then after he died with the movie um had a huge influence on on attracting people to the sport of rodeo and and especially bull riding we're we're almost i I know they they made that movie uh a few years ago i guess but it seems like we're almost due for another movie like that to kind of bring life back to the to the western no doubt about it you know i i've uh i've been kind of you know, I'm named after George Paul, who, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, is the greatest bull rider that ever lived. He, you know, he died at 23 years old in a, in a plane wreck. So to ride 20 or 79 bulls in a row at the age of 21, and uh, you know, I don't care. I don't think anyone's ever rode 79 in a row in a practice spin, much less, you know, 79 in a row in, in pro competition is just, you know, feet yeah, of especially them. inner. Yeah, I mean, you figured bulls to hip themselves, fall down, you know, to ride 79 in a row, and then uh, rode nine out of ten at the finals that year, and and you know was world champion, but then died. He, he took a year off and then come back and and died in a plane wreck. Well, my dad was traveling with him, 
you know, the year he he died and then went on that year to win the world. So 1970s when George died and then and then my dad won the world that year just like sort of like Tuff went on to win the world after Lane died. So mm-hmm. um you know, I, I think eventually it's my goal to get the movie done about George Paul. Um it's a story that needs to be told because there's so many generations since him and, and there's not a lot of footage of him riding, so he's really a mythical figure that, uh, you know, athletically and, and then just his riding, um, you know, and then all the stories down in Mexico at that Million Acre Ranch. He was just, you know, a legend, a, a story that needs to be told in an era of, you know, Muhammad Ali and all these great athletes that their story has now been told. You know, I really want to get that story done. It's so inspirational. And, and uh, you know, and then you got my dad, who was kind of the opposite of George. He was a... Uh, not as athletic and 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 you know he used George as a role model and and patented himself after George and then went on to uh, to be a world champion in his honor and copying his style and all that stuff so it'd be a really cool story just to show the parallels of George and my dad and then how they crossed paths and traveled together and and of course George dying and and uh, you know, so it's uh, it's a it's an era of music in the you know oh late, yeah late sixties and early seventies the music and the the time in America and then just uh, you know the story that George Paul you know it, it's really hard to believe all the things that he he accomplished in such a short time to die at twenty three years old but but anyhow yeah I, I think if anything if we can get that done it would really attract people you know to the to the bull riding world again and and uh you know the love stories are, are good but you know like the one a couple of years ago but nothing like a true story you know and, and an inspirational story mm-hmm. um you know that, that's what gets everybody it's kind of like a rocky you know it gets everybody's juices flowing yeah no no doubt when when i was still fighting bulls uh th- this year would have actually been the first year that that i didn't go to any rodeos or anything but uh so that was let's see 1918 so in 17 um oh it, it was 18 sorry in 18 um i actually got to work the 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 george paul in del rio and and man just like the, the they played uh like a tribute to him there you know and yeah he was way way before my time but getting to do that bull riding and, and, it, and it being a uh, an extreme bulls and crca event again like it was it was really, really cool. I, I just, I could feel the, just the, the history in the air there. You know what I mean? And, and even, and I'm, although I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of bucking bulls and bull riding and just the sport. And, and maybe that's why I got so much out of it, you know, but some people may not even think twice about going to Del Rio, but I just, I tried to. Oh man. I tell I was you, there. It was, it was uh, cause when I was a kid in the eighties, uh, the videos that you saw a lot of, you know, you see the NFR and then they would have the, the George Paul kind of not televised, but you know, they'd always have it every year. And my dad would show it at every, uh, every school. So when every top rider and, and all them top bulls were there. And, and so in my mind as a kid, you know, George Paul, not only him, but the bull riding, you know, was like the soup, you know, it was the super bowl, you know? And, and, uh, so, but when I got to riding, Man, I couldn't wait to go, and I'll never forget the the couple times I went. Uh, one year, 
Ross Coleman and Jess McBride were like 18 years old. You know, they were just cracking out, and and uh, Ross almost won it on Wild Thing, and and uh, which he did come back a year or two later and, and win it on him. But um, I rode a bull and, and didn't make short go, but I was still pumped up just to be there. And, and I guarantee I, I went there a few times. I never bucked off, and I never made the short round. But I don't, <laughs> you know, being named after George Paul, I don't think anything could have bucked me off. But so we go down. I'll never forget. We go down, you know, across the border was the big thing. You go down and, and party. And, and uh, Barry Tubb, who was a, you know, he was a big actor from Lonesome Dove and stuff. Well, he was from Texas and friends with Tough and stuff. And and uh, and I knew him, you know, from being around Hollywood. So we're we're bullshitting at the uh, at the bar down there. And 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 all night, Jeff McBride's talking to Barry Tubb, you know. And I and uh, so Barry, he calls me over and he says, "Hey, Judd, this kid tells me I should sponsor him, and he's going to be a world champion." And uh, so. You know, I, I'd only seen Justin ride for a few months that year, and uh, and that's all I needed to see, you know. And I said, I tell you what, Barry, you better get your checkbook out and sponsor this kid because I guarantee he's going to be a world champion, you know. But, but I'll never forget that, you know. Justin, he was just so confident in himself. And, <laughs> that's awesome. And, uh, and then, we, you know, and Ross, I'd known him since he was a kid. And, and uh, you know, Ross when he turned 18, called me up and was like, hey, man, I want to go to some PBR. So I took Ross to his first PBR, and heck, it was like his second PBR. He was he went and was on tour, you know, so it didn't take him very long to, to get up there either. But, but yeah, you know, the Super Bowl Del Rio, that, that's the, you know, that was the one back then. And it's a shame it's not a PBR anymore, and it's cool. It's a rodeo now. But for a few years there, you know, it was kind of, you know in between or whatever and and uh but yeah that, that's a good one there so kind of that's that's some really cool story time man I, I i love that stuff but moving kind of moving a little bit to the to the bull side of things um we were texting back and forth there and you you had said when when alan was talking about the twistleman bulls that that you guys had started there at your ranch for the schools and stuff kind of kind of go through that that process and maybe something that that came came from there or, or, or at least a few if there's well there there's a there's a method that was really cool the twistlemans used um the twistleman ranch is probably an hour from us and it's about 50,000 acres and they in the in the heyday they they probably had you know 2,500 mother cows and they were they were back in the f1 days and and the you know they had brangus rayford you know, and and uh, anything that they crossed up, you know, with, with Bramer and some purebreds, just like everyone else did back then. And then the Madonnas here in San Luis Obispo, who two of the daughters married two of the Twistman's sons, and, and Alex runs the Madonna Inn. He bred F1s and had the most beautiful Hereford Bramer crosses you ever seen. So, um, long story short, every year at the branding, anything that fought the rope. When they when they'd stick, when they'd rope them and and the calves that fought the rope got to keep their nuts and the ones that didn't didn't you know so there's let's say a hundred hundred bull calves left every year you know that that they branded the ones they could catch there's a lot of cattle on that ranch that that never did get caught but that, that was anyhow, the question I was going to ask you fifty thousand acres surely there were some some mavericks 
Oh, God, yeah. In the end there, you know, they, they only run core innings now. In the end, they had to get helicopters in there and, and get them all cleaned out of there. And, and uh, But, you know, back then, you know, you catch it. It was, it was all cross-fenced, and, and, you know, there were different parts of the ranch, but and we'd gather and brand different parts of the ranch. There's a river and there's a mountain. And so, you know, I was just a kid. I'd go over there and get on my little, little Appaloosa pony horse cross that I'd get on. I'd go gather with them and, and uh, so we'd bring, you know, about two years old, we'd start bringing them calves over to the bull riding school and go through them, you know. And, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you for just a second because I'm curious about this detail. So when when they when they branded and and either cut the bulls or, or kept them, they at that point they were specifically to to go to you guys. Yeah, but yeah, they were they were leaving nuts on the bulls that fought the rope that that you know had some spirit and uh you know and some some athletic ability on the end of that rope you know just you mm-hmm. know one even if he's a good looking sucker which most of them were with them f1s um you know you got brentles reds baldies everything there and uh you know if they were just dopey and didn't fight the rope they got their nuts cut so you can imagine how wild the sets of calves were every year. That we, <laughs> yeah. You know, we'd have to regather them and sort them and, and haul them over here and, and tip them. And, you know, that was always a fun day, you know, tipping bulls. Uh, and we had some really, you know, some famous bulls that probably uh, back then they had bullfights too in the 80s. So some of them uh-huh. bulls went on, went on to be fighting bulls. There were some, and, you know, I can remember uh, some like 84 you know, there there was a couple at the NFR in the bullfights, and uh, and then there was just some bucking bulls that could go either way. They were just notoriously mean. Um, Ten Scatterbrain was one in the '80s that caught and hauled, and and if if Alan got hooked by him once, he got hooked by him a hundred times. For some reason, every <laughs> time Alan Jordan got on that bull, he had Alan's number, and he wouldn't just hook him; he would just viciously hook him. And he had, you know, everyone scared. And, and But those days, you know, there were, we had permit sessions, too, the PRCA sanctioned p- permit sessions at our ranch. So all the bull riders would come from around, you know, if you couldn't get in a rodeo or, or in the winter when there wasn't much going on, we'd have permit sessions where, you know, you win money and it counts towards your card. And I think it was $1,000 back then to fill your permit. So we had all these bulls in jackpots and permit sessions with all the tough riders from you know the the west would come and, and get on these bulls so you know nowadays you know you really wouldn't want those mean rank bulls in, in your bull riding school but that's just the way it was and with the jackpots you know we we kept them around and then if they were still a little young like two and three year olds we'd kick them back out on the crease of plains on that ranch and, and go get them as four year olds or, or long three year olds and we'd bring them in and and uh and and back then Growny um, in the early 80s, the first couple bulls that went to NFR, uh, 58 Spitfire and, and a bull named Kung Fu, they were both Brentles. They're they're in the rank pin at the NFR, and, and I know 84, possibly 83, and, and one of them might have went on to 85, but there's videos of Donnie and Lane Frost, both on Spitfire. He's backing up a little Brentle. But those it's, bulls it's, were, it's funny. It's actually funny that you mention those bulls because I, I had talked to Janelle Kish a little bit about getting Dawn to do an episode and she sent me a, a deal today of all the bulls that they that Grownie had ever sent to the finals you know since like 81 I think the list started yeah. 
and yep. Spitfire and, and Kung Fu were, were both on the list multiple years. And I was like, man, I have no idea what any of this 80s stuff is, but there, I yeah. just learned what them two were right right now. Yeah, they were just, you know, just them F1 Brentles. And Spitfire was funny because he was the practice bull, you know, that everyone in these days would have cut his head off. But he was one that just, you know, he never quit. And then guys would pick on him, and he, he got sick of it, and he kept getting better and better. And he had some backup to him, so he'd pull you down and click your heels. And... I'll be dang if he didn't make it, you know, it, it's just like the ones you think are going to make it sometimes quit. And then you got bulls like that. You just keep bucking them. They get smarter and better. And then, uh, but yeah, Donnie, you know, Donnie rides Kung Fu in like the 10th round, maybe to win the world in 80 or, you know, one of them years he rides him. And then the, there's a cool video of Lane Frost on Spitfire. He backs up, pulls Lane way out over him. And Lane sits back up and goes on with it away from his hand. So those were like, you know, two of the the first ones that uh, that Groundy took. There were some, uh, you know, that Cotton started taking to around that time. And then in 1983, the reserve world champion, that 17, uh, which way did he go, Velvet? You know, he ended up runner-up, I believe, behind 105 that year. And mm-hmm. he was a Twistman bull that... We bucked our permit sessions and jackpot. So he was the first real ranked one that, you know, in the rank pen, um, you know, really got some notoriety. And then it was tough to get a bull of the year back then on the West Coast because mostly Texans and Okies in the top 15, and they voted, you know. So, uh-huh. uh, and then over the years, I was just thinking about it yesterday. You know, I, I believe, and, and I'm pretty sure, like, Whitewater, Trick or Treat, A9, and Reindeer, all ended up reserve world champions, and none of those bulls ever won a PRCA title. And Cotton, you know, for years had a lot of bulls like that. You know, there would always be one out there in, in Texas. Uh-huh. They would get the votes, but, you know, it's hard to believe in it. those bulls never won. But um, uh-huh. and Oscar, Oscar himself, I had the debate with Donnie Gay, you know, 1972 um, when B61 was bull of the year, but he was getting old. You know, Oscar never won Bull of the Year, even though he's a Hall of Fame bucking bull. He's probably the only Hall of Fame bucking bull that never won Bull of the Year. But in 72, he bucked off my dad that spring. He bucked off Larry Mahan. He bucked off Phil Lynn, Phil Line, however you say it. And then at the NFR that year, Donnie Gay's first NFR, he bucked off Donnie and Pete Gay. So that's five of the greatest bull riders, you know, four or five of the greatest bull riders of all time that Oscar they just tracked him out, bucked off. And, and I, you know, and Donnie agreed. He said he probably should have got bull of the year that year. They gave it to B61 because he was, you know, getting old, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, and then Oscar went on to be unridden 72, 73, and 74. He wasn't ridden until 1975. So um, it's amazing. And that was, that, that was the year, or maybe it wasn't much after that he he was retired, right? Well, no, he went all the way to 78, you know, and that's why uh, I believe this bloodline is carried over so long and so good is because the heart and Oscar, you know, to buck, you know, he, he still bucked off Donnie again in, in 70, 77 or 78 at the NFR, you know, after he had already rode him at the NFR and he looked like he was washed up. The old sucker started into his hand and went back away from his hand and bucked him off. I, I put some pictures on the the legacy of the west uh 
you know, uh-huh. they're going back back the other way. And, and Donnie was kind of funny. He says, oh, I forgot about that, you know. <laughs> but uh, So to kind of back up just a little bit, I'm curious, like when you guys started all these, these Brandon Bulls, the Twistleman Bulls, like did, being just old crossbreds and, and what have you, got a little fire to them. Did was did it take them a while to to did you guys buck the piss out of them for, before they ever really did anything or was there any that well I, up or... I tell you one of my favorite bulls to ever come out of that Twistman line um, there's a video of Clint Bronger riding him in the tenth go around at at oh probably eighty seven at the NFR Brennell twenty five Tiger away from his hand and uh, this bull you know and a lot of those bulls just had it in them some some that started good quit and like i said others that didn't start good come on so there was always that but like mm-hmm. you're talking a minute ago those wild cows that would run off and, and not come in very often you know there were so many of them on that ranch you end up with a lot of wild bulls too you know and and um but back to tiger when we cracked him out at santa maria rodeo we knew he was good from the schools um, the flank fell off as the gate was opening, and it did not matter. The bull still did his thing without a flank, and you never see that, you know, as soon as the flank comes off. Mm-hmm. So it was it was just in a lot of them bulls, and and uh, but the numbers was the deal when you got that many cows and that many bulls for keep sure. The nuts keep the nuts on, you know, the top five percent, ten percent of them, you know, are going to be special, and and of course. You know, I remember H.D. Page told me one time, you know, the, the best bulls on his ranch are in a ditch in Ardmore because they never made it that far. They broke their back. They broke a leg. So um, that's yeah. just part of it, too. You know, some of them bulls buck so hard, um, you couldn't put much flank in them to begin with because they they just kick so hard and then break their back. So so we had those tiger. And then, um, you know, towards the end of the 80s, we started developing bulls for Dan Russell. The Twistman deal kind of died out a little bit. They cut back in our cow numbers, and and they started selling some bulls in Vegas. But so Dan Russell would send us. He had that ranch in Nevada, and he would send us. You know, Ted Groney would bring a semi up that old dirt road, and, and uh, he'd bring us a, a semi load to each school or a couple semi loads sometimes, depending on you know. Cause he had you know I heard rumor you know hundreds the thousands of bulls out there in that desert in Nevada, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, a world champion bucking bull, 550 Rocky, I'll never forget, mm-hmm. probably the rankest bull we ever bucked in our arena, especially a green bull, uh, I'll never forget this bull rider, Russ Rodoni, he could ride pretty good, so he gets on him, and I mean, you know, I never seen nothing like it, and so he ended up being world champion. So that was probably the best bull we developed for Dan Russell. I remember. But. I remember there was a there was old VHS tape and it was called Awesome Bull Rides, I think. Yeah. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember what rodeo it was, but uh, man, what was the? It was Cheyenne. Scott Mendez won Cheyenne on it. Yeah. Did, did Scott have hand. glasses? Ah uh, no no but if I appreciate sure the tape you're talking about I know which one it is he yeah and he runs a dummy over yeah and then he was uh, I do and he, that bull was was I, I've always liked Rocky for some yeah reason, he always he, liked was, him. he looked like Red Rocky was a brindle and uh, Dan even collected him you know Linda's got semen on him and uh, we got some one time and never ended up using it but um, 
but yeah, he was man, he was a buffer. Do you know? Do you know like how how the the Russell deal? Since you're talking about that, we we might as well continue there. Like like how their breeding program was maybe before, during, after that they got all the 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 Nacarada bulls. Well, one thing interesting about Dan's deal, um, if you look at Dan swore up and down that he had uh, Pacific Bell had some Barnby in him. I don't know if he had some Barnby cows or an old, you know, or what that deal was, but you know, he claimed that that Pacific Bell, you know, wasn't no accident desert bull. He was actually, you know, had that blood in him. And I think mm-hmm. Lindy even Lindy even put that on the papers because you know I bred Pacific Bell when, when I first started, and. Um, but yeah, I, I know uh, they just had that desert ranch, and they had a lot of crossbreds like Bushmans, and they never really started, you know, doing anything by design until until they got their hands on trick or treating them, and you know they bought that ranch in Oklahoma and, and sold their California ranch, um, you know. So I, I know that uh, for sure he said that Pacific Bell though went back to a bloodline. Oh, and so Rocky, he wouldn't have been. Uh... Uh, he was he was a a Russell bull of a, a desert bull per se. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I don't know exactly if you know they were doing F ones and then just like Twiskmans, you know, they still look good at the cell barn. But if they buck, they buck, you know, because you know, literally, I I heard stories from Ted and them. You know, there were so many bulls in that Nevada ranch that you know a lot of them got old and never got tried or you know couldn't get caught or you know Holy there were just crap, so many. Man so many to go through and they didn't have anywhere to take them they 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 were happy if someone would take a load of tryout bulls and go through them you know because it's, it's a lot of work you know I, i'm sure oh, yeah. you know green uh, we we had wood shoots and wood back pins and <laughs> I, there's a bull that you know at one point and some funny videos of, of a of a surfer on him 43 spinner looked just like rocky he's come at the same time as rocky and lasted a little, little longer. He was the meanest bull, Joe Bumgardner said in rodeo at, at a certain point. And we started him, and, and my dad's video on him as he's coming up these wood alleys, you know, shoot by shoot, and wood flying each one he goes to. And then this guy gets on him named Stinkweed, a, a, a hippie surfer that was at the bull riding school. And he, he hangs up to him, it seemed like 10 minutes. Holy you know? crap. And it's one of the funniest videos, uh, you know. I I put it on when I went on with Rob Deerdick on ridiculousness, and I accumulated all the funny wrecks and stuff I could real quick, and uh, I put that one on ridiculousness, you know. So, so, for, <laughs> so forty three spinner and Stinkley, they're they're famous, you know. So, man, but yeah, those were those were I'm pretty sure just crossbred desert bulls that he had a lot of cows, a lot of country. And must have been some damn good cowboys together. I'm I guarantee that. I I really I really want to talk about about your program because you guys have, have have raised some some really good bulls and, and some as of late. Uh, but one question I wanted to ask you before we got there, um, me and me and Alan were talking about it, and heck, you got your dates nailed down and everything. Just talking to you, do do you have any idea of of like who bred the first bull to cow? For or an idea even I don't even know if anybody knows the right answer to, for specifically bucking because like even even the Twistlemans that was not on purpose they just kind of you know what I'm saying like 
Like, yeah, no, they they were following the trend of the F1s, you know. Yeah, that wasn't on purpose. But, um, you know, I was kind of thinking about it because I, I heard your question in Alan's podcast. And, and you know, like the best I could say, because at the time when my grandfather was rodeoing in the 40s, you know, there was really only two guys. It was Barnby and, and Andy Riggi. And, you know, they, they had to have uh, – they had to have had their own little deal going there, you know. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I don't think it could be nailed down really unless you could find an old article and some archives somewhere uh, that mentions it. You know, I, I think. You well, know, and, and a- too, I mean, the U.S. is is a pretty big country, and rodeoing in, in, you know, the Midwest, Oklahoma, Texas type stuff. But it's just kind of cool to think about with the ABBI and the registry, and and how far like you can track that stuff back to oscar-ish you know and yeah and to what like where it really began on purpose you know what i mean right right no i would i you know i always thought it would be cool because uh, i think the furthest back you can go really in the registry would be oscar's velvet because he was uh-huh. collected in the you know there's a couple bulls that are collected in the 80s and you know there was uh there was Pacific Bell and Oscar's Velvet were, were both collected in the eight, late 80s. And I know uh, 105 and 018 were collected. Because mm-hmm. when I first started breeding, my goal was to get sons or daughters of world champions. So, you know, I found 018 and the 105 and Oscar's Velvet and the Pacific Bell. But I thought it was, I was always, you know, because Kish, you know, he's a guru and blah, blah, blah. But I always wondered why he didn't collect Red Rock or Mr. T who were in his front yard breeding bulls in, you know, in the eighties there, you know, and, and, uh, that is a good, that is a good question. Whenever he does come on, I'm going to ask him. Yeah. Because, you know, he, he's, you know, Kish is smart, but he, he thinks he's real smart. And, uh, so, <laughs> you know, I, I got to wonder why he's so smart, why he didn't collect those bulls, you know, cause you know, he obviously had 301 cash out of, Mr. T, who was one of my favorite bulls, and then, mm-hmm. you know, the story goes, you know, Red Rock had a bunch of heifers, but, you know, he must not have been a big producer because there was never a son of Red Rock that ever bucked that I heard of. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so um, you can twist that story in any way you want. But I'll tell you another story, and I want you to ask him. I, it, I've always heard it, but I don't know the truth because I never asked him. He had at one time in his possession Oscar's velvet before he got Fonzie. And the story I heard goes he he you know, the bullet coming off that broke leg, blah blah blah. He was getting older and uh he bought the bull off Bobby Christensen and he he paid with a check and he got the bull, you know, grained up and was gonna buck him and breed him. And Bobby never cashed that check, and he he went went and picked him up one day and, and took him back. So really, can you imagine? Yeah, that's the story I hold. I, I've always heard, you know, one way or another, he had Oscar Bell in his possession before he got Fonzie. Meaning, you know, because I always thought Fonzie he was a little shorter legged than Oscar Velvet. He didn't kick as good as Oscar Velvet, and so you see the Wolfman a lot smaller then you see the sort of medium-sized bulls that go back to Oscar's Velvet that can handle bigger guys, you know. And uh-huh. Can you imagine if on those Red Rock Daughters, 
was Oscar's Velvet instead of Fonzie, you know. So I always thought, man, holy cow, what if, you know? And that's yeah, no kidding. That's that's wild. I've never heard that before. I'm I'm definitely gonna have to ask him. Yeah, ask him because you know I, I've I heard that story forever, and and for some reason, Bobby Christensen uh, changed his mind. He hadn't cashed a check yet, and you know it was like he went out there one day and the bull was gone. He picked him back up or something, you know. So there's probably some two sides to every story, but. And then I heard, you know, then he went and got Fonzie and, and put the Oscar, you know, uh-huh. another, a different Oscar son that wasn't quite as bucky or famous on, uh, you know, on the rest of history. So then, you know, to, to kind of give some backstory on my breeding program, when I, when I started, uh, you know, I, I got shoulder and knee surgery. I'd, I'd uh, you know, was out of bull riding like year 2000. So 2001, there was a a kish bull that run off at San Maria Rodeo and some local guys traded for him. Well, I ended up with him. And uh, so I put him on just some, some not re- very good cows, really, but the bull buck. And he hadn't been DNA'd yet, but I knew that whole set uh, were sons of two legit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's when I started, basically 2001, 2002, right around in there. And then I met a guy by the name of Gary Isabel, who had some Wolfman stuff, and uh, what he did, he went up and bought an old cow from Kish, and he bought some Wolfman semen from Kish, and he, he flushed this old cow, and he got some a daughter and, and a bull calf, and then he AI'd some other just regular old cows to Wolfman. Well, well I, bought, I bought those bull calves, and, uh, and then we partnered up, and I said, man, let's get some Oscar's Velvet and flush this cow with, so we ended up flushing his cow to Oscar's Velvet, and the first set of calves hit the ground in 2005. Um, you know, we had all four, four or five bull calves, four or five heifers, uh, and and just like that Swissman branding, at the branding, this little calf, when they put a rope around him, he went to jumping like you never seen before. You know, so he's a son of Oscar's Velvet, out of a Wolfman daughter. And when they tried to heal him, they couldn't hardly heal. These are some good ropers, too. Couldn't hardly heal him. And then when they stretched him out, they couldn't hardly stretch him out and hold him down to branding. So at the branding, I named this calf Braveheart. And, oh, uh, be darn. So, yeah. And then the other ones, his full brothers and sisters, they fought the rope a little bit, but they'd give it up, you know. And, and uh, But this calf was just different from day one. And uh, so long story short, you know, he had a big, big, out looking sucker he liked and uh he's like well i kind of want one all to myself and i said well i kind of want one all to myself too so so i picked braveheart and he picked this other one and, and we partnered on the rest and uh so when we come home we weaned him in like seven months we brought that that set home to my house to buck them as weanlings and i still got the video braveheart was just like holy cow he jumped I mean, as high as one could jump and kick straight over his head, and and never would spin though with the dummy. But he was so athletic, it was unbelievable. And uh, and then he went on to to be a a 47 pointer as a five year old and tied Bushwhacker for the Highmark Bull as a five year old in PBR, and uh, which which is on YouTube. It's a great video. It's Vince Northrop from uh, from Canada, and then he went to final three times. So. So then we went up to, uh, after we bucked that first set of calves, Gary Isabel and I, we had a we had another partner that had a bunch of property in Malibu that didn't know anything about 
you know, rodeo. So we all invested. We we drove. It was like we just bucked them calves. We jumped in the car and drove to the Oakdale, the Alex Macarados, and and we said, Alex, we want to buy all your Oscar's Velvet semen, you know. And uh, so we did. We bought all the semen. We left them with ten straws, and that you know. Our idea was to kind of corner the market, and we said you can't. We made him sign a contract. You can't use it or sell it. You can use it. And I'll never forget. Uh, you know, he read the clause in the contract. You know, if you die, you know, blah blah blah. He looked up. He said, "I ain't never gonna die." You know, I drink too much whiskey. And so, you know, we. we uh, so I, I I quizzed Alex a lot that weekend. I asked him a lot of questions. And I wrote down what he told me, and, and uh, what Alex did was he got them, you know, and I've been seeing a lot of back and forth about, you know, the cows and how many he got and stuff like that. Well, he, he I've seen a lot of people said 12. He he told me he had 13 of those Oscar's daughters or them cows that come from, from you know, Benny Brown or Cook or however that deal worked out. But, uh, and one of them, uh, Jack, Roddy, and Kish, he ended up working on a deal, and and that cow went to them, and so there were some bulls of Kish's there for a while. Had an R in front of, you know, there's R8 who was a really ranked tenth uh, go-around bull at the NFR that that went to Utah after Kish, and and uh, anyhow there's there's Roddy Brown, I think R4 that went to Jerry Nelson. Well, those bulls went back to that cow, so Alex had 12 after he sold that one. And this is where it's kind of interesting where the Twickmans come back in. Uh, Alex told me before he got Oscar's Velvet, the first bull sale, I think, was 1985 at the Thomas & Mac in Vegas. And we sent some Twickman bulls there, and Alex bought two of them, and he put them over those cows, and and he bucked him as well, and he you know my he said my grandpa showed him how to flank him, and you know he took him to Salinas and this and that. But uh, then he he ended up with Oscar's Velvet, you know, in the the later how, age. How did he how did he end up with him? Well, he you told know? me that that he told me Bobby owed him some money, and to make the deal right, he gave him Oscar's Velvet or Little Oscar. But when I was growing up, all I'd ever heard him go by was Little Oscar. Uh-huh. And then, you know, when the, the Velvet Whiskey deal, all them bulls were sponsored by Velvet Whiskey, you know, they kind of changed his name to Oscar's Velvet. But, um, but yeah, he told me Christensen owed him some money, and uh, he made the deal right, you know, and gave him the bull. So he basically had daughters of Oscar, and he had a son of Oscar. But in the meantime, so that's, he... So that's, that, that's, that's how he got that, was he actually... I mean, I knew he had Oscar's Velvet, but he he actually bred him, and and that's where the the little Oscar stuff comes in. Uh, what? No, uh, you know, the bull had already won world title in 1983. Bobby bucked him for a couple more years. You know, a lot of people don't know Oscar's Velvet broke his hind leg uh, the year before, a year after he won the world title. Somewhere along in there, they put a cast on his leg, healed it up. And then they kept bucking him, so he never quite was, you know, was what he was before uh-huh. he broke the leg. And and he himself went, you know, there was a few years there when he was in his prime, went unridden until Bobby Del Vecchio rode Little Oscar or Oscar's Velvet, same bull, 
at Salinas was the first time he ever got rode. But he was like 1980, 81, 82, somewhere around in there. Just like Oscar went 72, 73, 74 unridden. You know, Oscar's velvet, little Oscar, went a few years unridden and then got voted, unlike his daddy, Bull of the Year in 83. And uh, and so then after that, you know, you see old videos of him as he got older and that broke leg. He just wasn't as good at the NFR or, or you know, in general. So it was, I'm going to say, like 87 or 88, somewhere around there was when Alex got Oscar's velvet from – Bobby Christensen, who had mm-hmm. bought him from Bob Cook for fifteen thousand, you know, in eighty two or eighty three. But so in that meantime, from when Alex had them cows and he outcrossed with those Swissman bulls, then he told me he'd come back in with Oscar's velvet. So he outcrossed and then he come back in with the same blood, and uh-huh. um, and so that's how. Now, if you look at what happened. Uh, Trick or Treat's mother, A9's mother, Reindeer Dippin's mother were all daughters of Oscar's Velvet. So, uh-huh. you know, that's why, in my opinion, you can go either direction with Oscar's Velvet, and where you got Whitewater was a son, and then you got those bulls and, and, and others, you know, were out of daughters. So basically, it didn't matter which way Alex went with it, you know, he had what, you know, they, they bucked, and, and, uh, you know, and then Dan Russell come in and sent a couple bulls to Alex later on, which would have probably been the sire to werewolf and, and reindeer because they never could find the sire to reindeer. And at that time, Alex was, was out crossing with some plumber stuff. And uh-huh. that's why you got werewolf was speckled like a plumber, but he looked like, you know, the head of Oscar's velvet. Uh, I did I did hear that the other day that, that Alex got some bulls from, uh, from Freddie Cordell. And and outcross the the Oscar stuff with some plumber stuff. Yeah, and that those were Dan Russell's bulls because Dan at the time was buying all them bulls from Freddie every year. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I won Selena's rodeo on a Freddie Cordell bull when Freddie was still alive because every year Freddie would haul a load out to Selena's for Dan, and then Dan would basically buy the good ones. Uh huh. Yeah, I got a cool picture with Freddie on the back of the chute, you know, when I when I won. Selena. Dan Dan had this is kind of getting a little off topic, but Dan had like Katie did and stuff, right? Yeah, I had Katie did and uh, oh geez, there's there's another one. Uh, there there yeah, there was a bunch of them, you know, and they were mm-hmm. plum, plumber to the bone, you know, and Cordell to the bone. They but it's funny the bull I rode at Slans was a solid red, but they were all uh, they were all go back to spot. Uh huh. So has has Braveheart has do his calves buck for you? Surely you bred him. I did. You know, I I had a partner on Braveheart, and I didn't. It was when you get them partners, some of them get a little touch and go on on certain things. So I didn't breed him for a couple reasons as much as I wanted to when he was alive. Number one, it's it's tough to, when a bull's in his prime breed him and buck him at the same uh-huh. you know that time of year, and, and so. And then number two, I, I just man, I'm I'm scared of lawsuits and and blah blah blah. So, but I do have a handful. I, I and a couple good bull calves got crippled, of course. But I have some daughters out of Braveheart that are out of this world. And I took a would have been a bull out of a yearling bull out of one of those daughters this year to the Heritage, and I placed you know 17th 
you know, driving cross country with a yearling out of a brave no water. So I was really awesome. excited about that because, man, I've been to Stephenville a bunch and them calves fall apart, you know, when you haul them that far. And, and uh, especially when they're nervous. Braveheart was a really, he was like reindeer dipping. He was really nervous. Um, and then I actually, Jerome Davis, that first set that uh, we put a heifer on the Breeders' Connection, a sister to uh, Braveheart. And Jerome bought her, and he was telling me, man, he's had he had a bull last year at the finals out of her, you know, in the regular finals, and then maybe one in the ABBI. He was just telling me that cow has been phenomenal. You know, seems like I, I have that cow was that Wolfman cow. Her her name was Zena, right? Yeah, Zena. It seems like that the the Oscars Velvet Zena deal was was good for as far as bucking, but. It seems like a lot of the a lot of the females have been outstanding. Yeah, the uh, you know, and then I was I was mistaken the other day. I, I that we sold another full brother to Braveheart to Chad Beavers and them in Del Rio there as a weanling in that set, and he never bucked him. He just bought him for breeding, and I can't not remember the bull for life of me. But a couple years ago, he sired the CBR bull of the year. Yeah, I think really, I I seen you comment that the other day. Yeah. I think that bull's name was Got It. Okay, yeah, I can't remember a, a black name. bull and that Lyndall Hurst ended up hauling. Yeah, I exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and uh, so that was cool, you know, to put another notch in that that set of calves, and um, and then you know the, the legit uh, sire, who I I still haven't ran. Um, I had two bulls out there that year, and and, and he was a full brother to Braveheart. That was mean as hell, really bucked and got hurt. So we we bred him and um, you know, just a handful of cows and and I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure that's his daddy and would uh, would be a full a, a different full brother to Braveheart? A different full brother, yeah. There was a bunch of them. Uh what we did too, we put in those embryos two different years. The first set was born in uh, you know, two thousand five. There was Braveheart. He had a brother, forty four Red Bull. It was, uh-huh. uh, he won Reno ABBI fraternity when they first had one here. Uh, he beat Braveheart in the fraternity because Braveheart wasn't the best fraternity calf, but he would kick straight over his head and, I mean, jump 10 feet in the air. But Red Bull would kick and spin right there. And uh, and then the next year we had another set. There was uh, like 603, 604, 607, and they were all phenomenal. We had one qualifier for the ABBI Classic finals and uh, he got an abscess and and uh, in his head and, and so that was a bad deal but and then we had uh 606 he was like a 45 pointer at uh sacramento as a four or five year old and chad burger come offered a bunch of money for him and i'll be damned if he didn't get crippled but looking back you know i should have told him but, <laughs> but you know there's I, I, to- I got to see legit uh in, in person somewhere it may I don't remember where where it was at, and that is that is a big intimidating sucker, and and I've heard that uh, that that he he don't handle real well either. Oh man, he hooked everybody on the ranch, including me and my dad, and and <laughs> the, the, the first maturity or the first velocity I took him to in Reno, because like a lot of them Oscar bulls can jump, and the you know the, the cows jump, the bulls jump, and. Uh, so we get in the middle of a rainstorm Super Bowl weekend. We drop them off in the middle of the night. They're not a lot of pins, so we had to put them with some other bulls. And so the next morning, legit's gone. 
he jumps out of the holding facility, and the BLM's about a million acres right there. Holy and crap. The, the tracks just go up into the mountains, you know, in, in the morning of the bull riding. And uh, so, yeah, so long story short, he didn't buck at the bull riding that night. And luckily, a couple of days later, he joined up with some cows, and the old man had the lease, got him in. But the crazy thing was he come down out of the mountains. He come through an industrial complex. He went oh. under. He went under an overpass. And he crossed the river on a bridge, and he ended up on the other side. You know, that's how, you know, he was mean, but he was smart. And that's, you know, the Oscar Bulls are notorious for being really smart, and they're thinkers, you know. And So, like, how, like how we did, back, go ahead. I was just saying, like, like now that you sold him, and, and I'm, uh, I'm sure you, you got a, a pretty penny for him, but, like, did, did you know he was he was a, a stud at that point? And you were like, holy crap, this dude is gone, or or – were you just like, man, uh, I hope we find him. You know what I well, mean? Well, I'll, I'll be honest. He was so big as as a two-year-old. Um, I went ahead and I, I, I registered him and mouthed him, and I didn't send off his tail hairs. But I, I thought, man, because he really bucked with the yearliness with the dummy. And I thought, but then I, he just kept growing. He was all leg and all horns. And I thought, man, I'm just going to hold him out till. You know, he was like a long two-year-old. I took him to a little uh, TVR here in Santa Barbara, and he bucked the guy off, didn't get a real big bull score. But then, so he was going to be like a three-year-old at Reno when he jumped out. And uh, So you really, I, like you had a, you had a bulls, I've, of all the bulls I've ever bucked, I knew right away Legit was a superstar, and I knew right away uh, Braveheart was a superstar based on the vertical kick they had, and they'd get the front feet off, off the, the ground, too. And I didn't need them to spin as babies if I saw that, although legit did spin while he was doing it as a baby. And so, long story short, um, you know, the bull was just three-year-old, and, and I was hoping he would – he won second at a derby when I'd only taken him to, like, one little rider deal, and then I was going to Reno with him, so – I knew he really bucked. I thought he should have won the Derby too, but of course, you know, as the owner, you always think that. But uh, so I'm taking Marino. Well, it's the best thing. Looking back, the best thing that ever happened was that bull jumped out, and I kind of was sour about the facility and blah blah blah, and, and uh, so I just got soured up. So I took a year off, and and then almost another year. So by the time I I come back, um, he was. He was long four-year-old when I cracked him out at Salinas last year, and he'd been winning all the California maturities, and I knew what I had, but I, now I needed to go prove it. And he, he drew a Brazilian at the first PBR I took him to and, and was high mark bull of the, the event at Salinas last summer and really, really bucked. And it's funny, I, I, I offered him to chat at that time, and uh, – and quite a few people, and, and they all took the wait-and-see approach. And they said, okay, well, show me some more. And then every time he'd prove himself again, they the price would go up, and they'd come back, and then it'd be a little high for them. They'd say, well, we need to see some more. So that carried <laughs> on That carried on through Nampa, where he really bucked another Brazilian at Nampa, um, you know, right before the PBR finals. And and so Chad run over after he bucked Nampa. He said, do we have a deal? And I said, no, because I knew he was going to be in the rank pen then at the finals. And uh, so we negotiated all week, and everyone was calling me. And, and then so the rank pen at the finals, he jumps out into 46, 
and beats every ranked bull on the planet. And then I knew I had something right then, you know. And, and so, but looking back, just giving him that time off to mature, and and he was big and kicked and had all that power. And did did you back, have you collected legit? I have collected him, yeah. And I I uh, did something cool. I collected him conventional and male semen. So, um, you know, if you flush your AI with it, you're 99% going to get a bull calf. So. Um, at this point, I just don't want to jack around with heifers too much because I want to get a bunch. You know, my best cow might go ten years in a row having heifers. You know, so uh-huh. I want to I want to get some bull calves. But that's um, a, that's awesome. I bet I bet as 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 hardy and as big as that sucker is, them them calves ought to buck. Have you done anything with like? Did you get to yeah. breed them before you sold them or anything? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, I got the first set. Uh, we bucked one the other day that was just out of this world, kicked straight over his head. I posted a picture on the internet. And, uh, you know, and, and you know, the, the the thing about what happened with Legit, and I, I, to be honest with you, I think he's done already. It's amazing. Uh, you know, he was only a 41 bull score at the finals the other day. After uh, you know, he's 46 and a half at Sacramento, and then, you know, Chad took him after after Dallas and L.A., but he had started hooking the, the fence, and every once in a while that horn would bleed. And they didn't let him buck at L.A. because he had just a drop of blood coming out the tip of his horn. Well, it was kind of a catch-22. Either that keeps happening and you don't, he don't get bucked or you cut him and risk infection. Well, when Chad took him from L.A., he took him to the vet. And they, it was kind of a shock because he was so majestic with them big horns and he was so mean. That was half the, the intimidation factor there. But they tipped him and, and put putty on the end of his horns so that if he did bump them horns, they wouldn't bleed. And, and you know, because there's a rule, if they're bleeding in the chute, you can't buck them. Uh-huh. And uh, so I'll be darned if, uh, you know, it didn't take, man, two months. Uh, with that putty on the end of them horns, he got a horn infection in his, in his horns. And to try and get ahead of it, they had to cut him again, which is even more of a shock. And uh, and so he got thin, and man, he just wasn't bucking the same, and he he really hasn't been the same since. You know, they cracked him back out of Albuquerque, and shoot, he didn't buck good with Lockwood, and you could just tell he was thin and and wasn't feeling himself. And so they gave him a couple months off, and you know, he just ain't been the same. He hasn't been 46 points since. But you know, I've dealt over the years, we've dealt with a lot of horn infections, and there's just some of them bulls, they just don't. You know, they just don't come back from it. It's you know. So that's that's kind of kind of why he he got a, he got a horn infection then. Yeah, they they you know they cut him back so that they could put that putty on there, and if he bumped them horns, he couldn't bleed through that putty. But the repercussion of that is you seal in the infection, and you know a lot of guys use it, but you know for whatever. You know them them horns, and you can't tell. There's no pus coming out of them. The only way you tell they got an infection is they start losing weight and they quit bucking. Basically, they get a big headache and go to shaking their head. So when they went back in there, you know he had a horn infection pretty bad, and, and you could just tell he didn't feel good. He didn't have that bark and was kind of going through the motions with Lockwood there at at, uh, mm-hmm. at, at Albuquerque, and and uh, so you know in my opinion he's probably you know just ain't going to come back to what he was but you know he sure was special for 
you know, a year there where, he, you know, he was 46, 46 and a half, another 46 and a half, and he tied for the high mark bull of regular season this year. And, and uh, I was just watching that out the other day, and it, it sure was special. But, but yeah, I think the kick he puts in him, the kick that Oscar's Velvet puts in him, is, is why that bloodline, you know, has really done so good. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and a lot of people, like, you know, with, with the pages and, and what, what they've created with the, the, the buck and bull business today, a lot of, a lot of that stuff, I, I, I think people don't realize that they, they have some, some kiss stuff as well, but they, they bought a set of cows from Alex and, and, and a lot of that stuff that, that is really, really working can be traced back to the, I mean, they had some little Oscar daughters. Yeah, that, and I know a lot of the the pages papers go back to some of them Oscar daughters, and then you know one of the best, most influential bulls there for a little while that a few different guys got their hands on, and including HD was was A six, and uh-huh. the, the deal with A six was he was in that set that cracked out with A nine and A thirteen in them, and he kicked so hard that he, he extended them feet and snapped his feet and and broke his leg snapped his hawk kicking so hard but it wasn't bad enough he couldn't breathe so uh i was i'm i'm actually i'm glad you brought that up because i've always wondered like the 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 set of them a bulls when i say a bulls i mean like the dan russells that he hauled and stuff and and a6 was a was a great producer but you'd never hear of any of him bucking and that's exactly why oh yeah he was just a calf when all them bulls were cracked out they were at rancho marietta when uh when it was pbr and uh you know little or alex brought in a set of bulls i think even before dan had bought them or dan maybe had just bought them and but that's the story dan told me he said that bull he was he was the rankest one of them all imagine that you know here you got trick-or-treat who was one of the rankest you know i ever seen his prime a9 who was you know runner-up bull a year and just unbelievable buck off percentage and and uh but a6 was and he looked the most oscar uh he, uh-huh. you know, he had them coon eyes but he had up horns and he was the best one and he, he like we talked he kicked so hard he, he broke that leg so dan dan bred him a little bit but uh you know you look at there was like you know i think terry williams ended up with him uh, hd and then hal burns had some bulls go the uh-huh. you know yep. just so the percentages and the, the you know the degree that they buck is astronomical. Man, a, a buddy of mine and I were talking the other day, and this is off topic on the the bloodline, but but it's all relevant. We were talking about Playboy and how it just it seems like every year with the Ryder Bull stuff, you you seem to see a lot of Playboy, and and when you're sitting here bringing all this up from the West Coast and and jogging my memory, like a lot of the old time sires and, and bulls uh you can still trace back and and it's not even like you have to trace them back just a couple generations and and there they are that are still working today it's 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 incredible. yeah yeah i've been meaning to to give glenn, glenn McIlvain a shout out because i remember when he flushed that that red rocker daughter to playboy and got those bulls uh you know gigolo being smooth operator sire and, and the prca world champion sire you know, that was a great set, of, a great flush. You know, at that time, we had our set of Braveheart and Red Bull. And, and you know, and then, you know, it was always cool to see a, a set of flush mates 
turn out, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, no joke. instead of just one rank one. And then, um, you know, speak of the devil, I know everyone talks about uh, how how influential the female side is. But in my opinion, you know, my, my argument is there's been multiple or there's been world champions that are brothers from the sire side, but there's never been a world champion set of brothers from the cow side, meaning there's never been one cow produced two world champions, but there's been, you look at Showtime produced a couple, you look at Reindeer had, you know, Bushwhacker and a runner up with Roy. You look at, uh, you know, now uh, Gigolo producing two world champions. So, you know, I'm always on, I'm for the sire side myself, but Man, I know- I, I, I tell you, it's this, this statement is actually, uh, from Brandon Stewart. He said one time, you know, a lot of people, like you just said, talk, talk about the females. And I do think that it, that it ups your odds, but Brandon said, you, you can have the best, the best females that you can have, but if you don't breed them to the best sire that you can get your hands on, you're still not doing any good. And, and I think that that's a valid point to what you're saying is it at the end of the day, it really doesn't, you're, you're, your cows have got to be of of quality as well, but if you're breeding them to to an average Joe Blow bull, uh, you, your odds are, are just as low as if you had a, a not so good set of females breeding them to a good bull. You know, I think it's a it's it's a it's a match that has to work both ways. Yeah, and then even even uh, you know full brothers, full flesh mates. Um, there's you know there's always you know there's only one Michael Jordan, but he had a bunch of brothers too. You know, so. It seems like, you know, in my opinion, they're like a litter of puppies. Whenever I flush, I end up with a dopey one, an athletic one. So you can't buy full brothers or full sisters thinking you got what the other one is. You know, mm-hmm. But I just go back to that point that until one cow produces more than one world champion, I got to say, you know, that I lean towards the sire side of it myself. That's that's a, that's a very, uh, very good point and something to – Something to kind of look into. I'd say if if a cow can can produce uh, two world champs, that she she'd have to go down as one of the uh, probably the best ever. Uh, yeah, cow-wise. I mean I, I'm looking forward to uh, you know these long john out of Bruiser's mom and you know Bruiser's uh, you know out of Long John's mom. I think HC mm-hmm. will probably be the one to do it, but I know uh, I'm really excited. HC flushed to legit this year to his good cows. So there's going to be some calves coming on the page ranch out of legit. So that's only going to help, you know, my deal with semen and breeding and, and value of awesome. the calf. You, you so. may, I'm sure some people may know that, but you may have just leaked a little something there because uh, I hadn't heard that. But I mean, not everybody tells their. Yeah, I was, I was plans, really but. excited. I, I talked to him at the Heritage, and uh, he said he had some in pregnancy, and he's got froze the rest and. And uh, he said, "I'll let you know how they turned out, you know, so that, that I, I I knew he had already had the semen, but um, but he did tell me he had some in pregnancy, so that's that's really exciting. Heck yeah, that's that's awesome, awesome. Well, man, uh, I'd say we probably be about time to wrap it up just a little bit, but we may have to uh, later on we'll, we'll give a little bit, but heck, we we may have to have a, a part two, uh, like I said before we yeah. started recording. I think we could talk." And, and just BS about everything for, for hours. You bet, my friend. And I just got to say you're doing a great job. I know uh, the industry needs needed you and, and needs more people like you to cover 
you know, the ins and outs plus, uh, you know, just your passion shows through and everything you're doing. So congratulations and keep up the good work. Hey, man, I, I really appreciate that. And uh, you take care, and, and, and we'll, we'll be on the lookout for those legit babies. You bet, buddy. Have a good one. You too. See ya.